Hi everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show and thank you very much. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and Crypto 101 Media was proud to be a sponsor of the Ethereal Summit in New York. So, we sent Aaron Paul of ICO 101 and Mark Van Horn, the sales director of Crypto 101 Media, to New York to get great interviews and great video footage of the summit. So, for the next four episodes, we are going to put out that content for you. First, we usually put out an episode every three days, but because there's a lot of content and we don't want the content to get old, you know, it's kind of like lost in the history, we're going to put it out every other day for you. And also, I want to apologize for the audio quality. We had great cameras, great microphones, but because of all the people around, it was really hard not to get a lot of background noise. So I want to say in advance, I'm sorry about the background noise, but I hope you enjoy the content. Before we start the show, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com. There you can follow us on your social media of choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can send us an email. You can become a patron. Patreons, we have all of these episodes up there already for you. So if you don't want to wait every other day, go listen now. And we also have three more episodes up there for you as well. It's a little series that Danny and I recorded, Back to Basics, with Crypto 101 and Danny himself of a Decryptionary. And finally, please go to iTunes, subscribe, leave us a comment, and a rating. It helps us a lot. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the content from the Ethereal Summit in New York City with Aaron Paul and Mark Van Horn, and we'll see you after the show. What is yeah. Consensus Academy? So Consensus Academy is the educational core under the main Consensus brand. Uh-huh. Um, we offer a variety of online courses as well as in-person training workshops and uh-huh. edtech products for both non-technical and technical audiences. So right now we have registration open for the 2018 developer program, which will run online for 9 through 11 weeks for technical audiences specifically. And then we also recently announced our partnership with Coursera for our non-technical course that will be launching soon as well. Our community is Crypto 101, so it's the average consumer. Can somebody who doesn't know anything about coding, anything for programming, participate in this? Or do you have to have a background in coding development? Yeah. Or whatever. Not at all. So we we kind of segment our target consumer base to the average developer and then to the lay person who doesn't know anything about blockchain. Fantastic. We we do have our Blockchain Basics ebook, which is intended for complete beginners. Okay. Um, So that's currently available on LeanPub for $15 to purchase. Fantastic. And what's the course cost? The 2018 developer program costs uh, $1,000. And if somebody says, I want to retool myself, I want to go full on into the blockchain space for $1,000, I can retool myself. What can they do once they get that certification? So the really nice thing about this course is that there is an expectation that top performance of the program will uh, be considered for employment through consensus. So there is a nice career pipeline offered uh, for this course. So you're getting a great return on investment for the initial cost of the course. What's the time commitment one would have to do? So say you've got a full-time bartender, food and beverage person, truck driver, whoever, what's the time commitment? Yeah, so the really great thing about the course is that it's geared for anyone from a talented student to a full-time employee. So you kind of need to commit about 10 to 15 hours is what is recommended per week. Okay, uh, to 10 to 15 a week? Hours per week, okay. yeah, to be successful. Okay. Um, yeah, but if you are a programmer, you can sign up for the course online and take it. Um, it's available right now. Fantastic. For registration. Thank you yeah. very much. Thank you. That was awesome.
My name's Aaron Paul. I'm one of the uh, podcast hosts for Crypto 101 Media. We have a podcast. It's a Crypto 101 podcast and ICO 101 podcast. And our mission is to educate the average consumer. That's a great mission. Not easy. No, it's not easy. But I think we have some similarities in that your mission seems to be to educate the average consumer, which is also at a higher level than the plumber and the lawyer and the... And the politicians, And, the, po and the politicians. <laughs> so, could you introduce yourself for our listeners? Who are you? Why are you here? How did you get into the crypto space? And we'll start from there. Okay. Uh, I'm Eva Gaili. I'm a member of the European Parliament, initially from Greece. So I got elected in Greece, mm -hmm. basically after the crisis. Uh, 2014. It was not very easy trying to find solutions so that it would not happen again. Yes. So I realized that giving full control to the banks was a problem and then I heard about the virtual currencies. Basically after the collapse, uh, figuring out new um, possibilities and trying to explore what the virtual currencies could offer besides being another problem, I realized that if you find a way to not depend on central banks, this could give trust back to the citizens, the trust that was lost, and that's why we have several interesting results for elections in the US, but also in Europe, that with contradictions that we cannot explain. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think it's a message to the system that we failed mm -hmm. to protect citizens from overtaxing them to pay for the crisis. Yes. So exploring that, I realized that Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other virtual currencies could actually provide, provide us with ways to overcome similar situations. Were you already an elected official before you discovered cryptocurrencies? Yes. You were? And so when you saw cryptocurrencies, did it just make you excited? And when you found virtual currencies and virtual tokens, did you invest in them in yourself? First of all, I was not excited. I was really um, a skeptic about it because I heard ministers talk about it. So whenever you hear somebody trying to have a castless society, for example, but controlled from the government, this is something that raised concerns and not the opposite. Right. But as soon as I understand and understood how the technology could develop and uh, in how many ways you can use this, then I started to be more excited about it mm -hmm. because I saw the potential and the uses not just as a currency but as an infrastructure to exchange value without intermediaries, without friction, without hidden fees. And uh, I think this was the main uh, thing that got me interested in that. So when you first heard about the virtual currencies, your initial reaction was a traditional government reaction, which was, I don't know about this. And Basically, then you, edu you educated yourself and said, hey, you know, I need to take a different viewpoint of this. So when did you become an advocate within the European Union to say, we really need to take a look at this? Well, actually, I, I attended some conferences because I worked on the fintech uh, file so the fintech uh, regulation to allow data from the banks to innovative companies that can provide us with different solutions. So I saw blockchain as part of the fintech revolution. And then I realized that we, have to, we can do even more than that. So I attended conferences. I started downloading wallets. I was trying to, to <laughs> get money? like yes, money? To, get, to get one coin. It was not that easy. No. But then I understood also how dangerous it is if you lose your private key, if you have a wallet that is not credible. So I tried to work with the technology before I started um, working with the legislation. So a couple of things that the 101 listener, I think, doesn't know much about. The GDPR. Mm -hmm. And can you explain to the listener what the GDPR is, how significant it is, and 
can that be a model for the rest of the world, the GDPR? Well, I think it's a, a way to protect our data, so it's a data regulation based on principles. So you will not find everything, it's not too specific, but you will find guidelines to make sure that we understand who owns our data. If they sell our data, we have to give clear consent, so your silence is not taken as consent. I think this is an interesting principle. So you have to actually say that you want to have your data being kept or used. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we oblige the companies to do that, to provide visibility and uh, transparency for the uses of our data. And with the Cambridge Analytica situation, I think everybody understood that we do need principles. And with blockchain, I think you can also comply with GDPR if you put the hashes on the blockchain, but the sensitive data not on the blockchain. So you have to identify what are the sensitive data, you have to make sure people understand how you're going to use them, for how long the purpose, and also the time, how long are you going to use them for. I think this is the, the core of GDPR. You said something earlier that I took a note on when you were on stage, that countries who try to squash innovation and reject digital currencies are unintentionally or by default fueling the movement that they're trying to squash. How can governments reconcile without stifling the innovation and without really isolating the community? How can they work together? Where can the bridge be? And, and I guess when I, when I hear about what's happening in the European Union, I'm, as an American, I get excited. And I ask myself, how come the United States government isn't doing this? How come the United States government isn't to the extent that they could educate themselves too. Well, I think in the European Union we have a mentality of compromising and being open to different mentalities. We are 28 different member states, not even speaking the same language, different laws and taxes. So we, we try to have, as I said before, principles. So the principle of being technology and business neutral, so we cannot support one technology against another technology, and also we have to be neutral and friendly to the innovation. So we have to support innovation and make sure that our regulation will not stop it. But trust me, sometimes we do make mistakes. Um, I think uh, the way we uh, we see blockchain happened to be different than US because uh, we were not that familiar with Bitcoin immediately. So we started seeing the whole picture, so the currencies and the infrastructure. You can have several currencies and protocols by design, by default, to comply with GDPR, to have the transfer of value, but also to have um, different currencies that are for different uses. So if you would start using them for a good cause or it could help governments remove friction from internal transactions, I think this would be a way for us to start being familiar with the currencies, with the digital currencies. At the same time, uh, we have to be careful because having a cashless society, I'm not sure we're ready for that or that it's uh, the best thing for the citizens. This is a debate we're going to be having the next years. In the United States, we're almost already a cashless society. I mean, we use everything on card, we, we use PayPal, we send everything. So, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I think we're ready. I, just, I look at a credit card machine and I get frustrated. I get frustrated with having to swipe and then type my name or insert the card or pull my card out. So. At the same time, uh, I am really concerned for the data that we give when everybody knows our transactions. So too much data given away. Yes. I have to be careful of the worst scenario. So for example, if you buy too much of something or like a drug or a, a medicine, I mean. Imagine if your data are being sold to insurance companies and you're excluded by your insurance. 
So I, I think that uh, we have to be careful of making everything because it's another way of centralization. Everything can be followed, all the all the transactions registered. It's a good thing, it's important, but at the same time there are also some problems that could occur. Why did you get into politics? Like, what's your mission? Why are you doing it? Why, why, why do you want to serve? Like, what, what is the legacy you want to leave? Okay, that's a difficult question, but I, I can tell you that I started because I didn't like to talk about things. I wanted actually to try to do something about it. So for me, just complaining was not a solution, so I started to participate. And then I realized that if many participate, they can change things towards the right direction. So to have a positive change, because just change is not enough. You have to have a positive change. And at the same time, when they told me I couldn't or I shouldn't, or... I had a mind of my own, so less easy to control. I liked that I would bring a different point of view. Not too many young people were entering politics. I think it's the same thing now. With this technology, you're actually trying to give back some control to the citizens. And I think this is what uh, makes it exciting. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you for you. your service. Thank you for being here. Thank you, you're very you. kind. And, uh, and to you too. I used to be a journalist, so your mission is really important. I'm an accidental journalist now. so um, This is but, the best journalism. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love being in the space, and um, that's why I'm here, because I want to participate in the space. So and this awesome. is really important, because you do it for the right reasons. Yeah, for sure. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Good to see you again, Chris Plants, man. It's great to see you, man. Good great running you. into you over here. How is the pre-sale? Pre-sale has finally sold out. Yeah, good. <laughs> Timing's everything in business. And uh, we launched on March 19th, which was probably you know the height of anxiety yeah. <laughs> with the market. And uh, that caused us to open our window a little longer. Uh -huh. But we were successful in selling it out. Remind the listeners, we had you on during the pre-sale March? February, March? It was March. It was, I think it was the week before. Okay. It was the week before. The week of March 12th. And then you got done with the pre-sale, and what are you going to do with that money? Nothing right now. Okay. The pre-sale is just to sell out people who are interested in the project, they get a bonus, right? Yep. So now we've got the, our, our window is closed. We're going to open the ICO in a couple weeks. Okay. That's going to run through August. None of these funds get touched unless we meet $3 million. Okay. So if by the end of August, we don't hit $3 million, this all gets refunded back to the contributors. Okay. Uh, so unfortunately, what that means is we have to continue to sell fund at that point in time. Okay. Uh, the window's longer than we thought, but it, it's also given us the time to really work with healthcare entities in the U.S. who have a lot of interest in the project, but they don't understand crypto, and they're very wary about, well... You, what do you mean I can't write you a check? No, 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 you can't write me a check, but you can you can send me some Ethereum or you can send us some Neo. That'd be great. Right, right. Uh, so that's a difficult conversation to have with finance departments. Mm -hmm. So I interview uh, ICOs and ITOs all the time. You're the only company, and I'm not saying there's other ones that are not out there, that has said if we don't hit a certain benchmark, we're refunding the entire campaign. And so... You need to hit $3 million, and then you guys can start building. Why would you even offer to give back the money? Why wouldn't you just keep moving forward with the money that you have? 
And what's the significance of the three million soft cap? And remind me again what your hard cap is. The hard cap is 40 million. Okay, and remind me again why the hard cap of 40 million. So the difference between three and 40 million will be used to create something called an endowment for the Veris Foundation. Okay, and what's an endowment? An endowment is a financial device used by nonprofits to generate funds for the organization so they can continue to operate. Okay. Think of it as a like a financial tool that just creates a dividend. Can you name a popular organization or business that has that runs on an endowment? The Harvard. endowment. Harvard. Any large nonprofit does it. So there's almost all universities, colleges do this. Any large nonprofit, they have funds set aside okay. that are restricted use that they can't go and spend, but they use it as an investment tool, right? So if we hit our max, it's 37 million. Yeah. It will allow us to roughly generate. Uh, in a good year, $3 million a year. In a bad year, $1 million a year to fund operations. Okay. And that's important to us because it's not a technical problem to break into the space that we're in. The problem is the entrenched players. And so we have two options, right? One, we get venture capital. And what yeah. happens is as soon as we have some success, the VC wants out. And so what does the VC do? They sell to the highest bidder, which is most likely an entrenched player in the space. Right. <laughs> exactly who you're trying to disrupt, right? That's who we're trying to disrupt, and then we're out. On the other hand, if we don't have a guaranteed stream of income, many of these entrenched players will just wait us out. Mm -hmm. They know when the end is coming, right? Like, oh, Varys only has so much money, we can just make sure they don't have enough market share, they'll go away. Okay. Because this- And it makes sense. Right, right. This, this 60 billion in expense is 60 billion of somebody's revenue. And they're not just gonna say, blockchain's really cool. Right. We should just quit our jobs right now and give up, right? <laughs> the game's sure. over. So three million soft cap, that'll allow you to build it out. That'll give us about a two to three year run rate and allow us to build this thing out so we have an actual fully functioning product out in the market. Okay, so three years, you'll have a fully functioning product. By then, that would assume that you're generating revenue so that you don't need the endowment. But you would like to have the endowment. And if you start generating revenue, are you going to take the profits from there to make the endowment anyways, just so you can continue to secure the business for the long term so that these companies don't try to wait you out and so on and so forth? So you have to remember, the key with a nonprofit is not that you don't make profit. Nonprofits should be profitable. It's a tax exclusion. Nonprofits just aren't taxed because they have a mission that they're trying to support. But it also means they have no equity, right? So no owners can walk away with this. Right. But that does not mean the nonprofit should not be profitable. The nonprofit should be very profitable and they should take that money and set it aside in cash reserves. And that's what we would do. I mean, the, the ramp up for us and that bottom curve, we won't be profitable. The endowment gets us through there. But when we start, we get an exponential market share, then we will become profitable. Cool. We won't be in the beginning. I think I remember reading on your white paper, it's been a while, but that at some point, if you guys make it to the 40 million for the endowment at the at the onset, that if the business doesn't make it anyways, if, if something happens that this isn't a viable business, most of the downside risk of contributors is mitigated because you're just gonna give that back to them. Correct, so anything between three and 40 million that's raised goes into the endowment. And within our white paper, we have a set of uh, benchmarks we have to meet every single year. And some of it has to do with releasing a product. Some of it has to do with market share. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. 
That's right, three-in-one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recording, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And someone asked me with how many transactions we're actually processing, with the, which is a proxy for market share. Mm-hmm. If we don't hit those, that triggers a condition where we will refund the endowment back to investors, right? Right. So if we do hit our max cap, 37 million of the 40 comes back, which is what, what is that, roughly 92%. So that'll go back to whoever's actually holding our various tokens, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have one, we don't hit our targets, we have to liquidate, it comes back to you. That's awesome. To be fair, it's not in a smart contract right now. One of our deliverables is to deliver something that can attach to an endowment and then liquidate based upon a set of conditions. That tech just doesn't exist. So that's one of our deliverables. Awesome. Well, enough of that. What do you think of the conference? The conference is great. It is awesome. Why uh, did you come? Why? Yeah. Because I want to see what everybody else is doing, <laughs> right? You can't sit in a bubble. I wanna, like, there are thousands of great ideas around here. Not only are great ideas, there are people who can act on them. Hmm. I mean, how many uh, great people have you met this week? Uh, tons. 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 And what do you think about the products? Did you see the Ethio? That's kick-ass. I, I saw that and I stared at it for a while and it's a really cool display. I have no idea what they're doing. Oh, right now. you gotta ask them. All right. You gotta ask them. Hey, I don't know, man. There's just so many. My mind is tired. There's so many great projects. Golem's a great project. But everybody knows Golem, right? Yeah. Is this your first Ethereal conference? Yes. And is this your first blockchain conference? First large one. Okay. Right. And how does it compare to previous or other conferences? Is this a transformative year in the industry? I can't say from a conference perspective because I don't have enough background. But I can tell you that I remember trying to convince the organization I was working at in 2012, a large nonprofit. I said, why don't we take a half of a percent of our cash reserves and buy Bitcoin? Like, You're crazy. They could have paid for all of this year's event, like everything they've been doing to upgrade the organization, right? Mm-hmm. So 
Within the last year, it's totally changed. You know, I, I can specifically remember somewhere on Thanksgiving where, you know, I would go, uh, I live in downtown Jersey City, I would go places, nobody, nobody really talks about crypto. After Thanksgiving, every single person I met seemed to have bought Litecoin and knew everything about it, right? Right. And it just, it was like overnight, right? It was like, bang, it just happened. It was like you hit this inflection point and off it went. So I think this is actually just kind of the tip of the iceberg. I mean, how many, how many family members do you talk to who still get what it is? Have any idea? My family members? Yeah, yours. Not my family members. My wife knows what it is. All right. How, how many friends in the Midwest get it? A lot. Really? A lot. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, a lot of my buddies. Uh, at my Jiu-Jitsu Academy, there's okay. a big group of the guys who know or have some awareness of cryptocurrencies and the market and are actively participating in it. So it's been pretty cool. That's awesome. Even some guys I work with. So it's a great thing. I've actually been surprised that we've been able to convince controllers of companies to buy crypto and send it to us. And they have no idea what to do. Because I've got to walk them through. Here's how you go to Coinbase. Of course. Here's how you set up your ACH. Wait till it clears. Get your Ethereum. Test the transfer. Make sure you got the address right. You know. So when you work with a company and you help them with that, what do they think of the process? And do you find that the people that you're working with decide or have made any indication that hey, maybe I want to do this on my own? What's interesting is it makes them appreciate the things that we have in our banking system that you don't have in other some other countries. What gets them the most is they'll say, test the transaction. Make sure you've got the address right because. Mm-hmm. If you send this to the wrong address, you'll never get it back. And that's the pause moment, right? Mm-hmm. They're used to the banks reversing transactions. Right. I have customers. No. No, it's, it's just, on. It's on. Get it right. Yeah, right. <laughs> or it will forever be wrong. Well, cool. Fantastic running into you. Chris Plants, you, man. CEO and founder right. of Veris Foundation. Thanks, man. Corbin, thanks for taking a few minutes. Thank uh, you, Aaron. Can you please tell us a little bit about the project? Frame it for the average consumer. And in this case, it's real estate, and everybody loves real estate. So what are you doing, and how can it help the average consumer? What we're doing with Pangea, going to go by Meridio uh, after next week, but That's right. uh, it's the ability to trade fractional ownership shares and real estate assets. So rather than buying and selling the entire house, the entire apartment, the entire commercial building, uh, you can just buy and sell just a fraction of that. So think of it as uh, buying and selling Apple stock online, but you have access to an individual property. The first thing that came to mind when I saw the project was I have rental property, mm-hmm. and my rental property is a traditional commercial loan. Where I put X percent down, and the bank owns the rest of it, right. so I have a mortgage on it. Is it possible for me to stake, for lack of a better word, that property and tokenize it and trade it on the platform? Right. So uh, you have a property right now, you have the equity in that property, but you also have outstanding debt to it. That's correct. So that would be two different pools that you would probably be put into two separate tokens so that anybody else that would be interested in sharing one of those like ownerships with either you or the bank could get access to it. Um, so let's say that you wanted to raise money on 25% of the property. You mm-hmm. could tokenize the whole thing and then open up that 25% to other investors, mm-hmm. putting aside your mortgage for now. Alternatively, your bank tokenize uh, the actual mortgage on the property and resell that to other folks that want access to that type of asset. The bank would have to agree to, to tokenize it. Yeah. 
Of course. Well, where do you see the hurdles with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, you know, we, we don't think big institutions like that are going to be going after more of like a kind of a crowdfunded capital pool at this point. I think we're starting off with equity versus debt for this reason is because uh, consumers can kind of wrap their head around it a little bit easier uh, and it's kind of easier to structure as well. We want to do debt objects probably in the future, but that's kind of why we're starting with equity. I can see where, and correct me if I'm wrong, even in that same debt structure, so let's just say the bank owns 50% of the mortgage left, right? I can currently see a model where investors would want to just take that off the bank's hands anyways. Absolutely. And especially if you're talking about a global market, that's very attractive. Absolutely. So we do a lot of work with large property developers Mm -hmm. who may have, you know, obviously taken out loans to develop a new property. Maybe it's five years into the project. They paid down the debt significantly. They still have a little bit of debt on there, Mm -hmm. Um, but now they own, you know, the majority of it. They might tokenize a piece of that equity rather than selling it off outright to then pay down the debt. Or they may sell a piece of equity off gradually, right? Sell 5% this year, 5% the next year, 5% the year after, maybe 10%, right? So they can play it with the market a little bit easier rather than it being an all or nothing, you know, sell the asset or keep it. Okay, well, I won't keep you for long. I have two more questions. Sure. The first question is, what is your guys' roadmap? Are you doing an initial token offering? And how can people participate in that? And the second question will be, if somebody says, I have a property, Mm -hmm. I want to put it up, I want to be a part of this at the very beginning, can they do that? And are you currently looking for people who want to do that? So uh, what is our roadmap? So our private beta is launching later on this month. We're super excited about it with our first asset right here in Bushwick uh, and a huge pipeline of assets to pursue after that. Are we doing a token launch? Not at this time. We haven't ruled out the possibility of a token making its way into the product, but it's not something we're pursuing right off the bat. We so, were, so there was no tokens there? I misunderstood. There was no platform token. So the uh, token exists at the property the, level. It, it exists in the property level. Exactly. I got you. I yeah. got you. So we're not, we're not using a token launch as a large funding event for the application platform itself. We want to build out a product. We want to demonstrate the use case. We want to show you know the benefit of the product before we consider anything like that. So when you guys buy the first, you guys are going to buy the first property and own it outright. So it's a it's a partnership with. Uh, there's actually a, a great CNBC article that outlines the whole process that All we right. went through. I'll yeah. check that out. And then I think your last one was how can people participate? Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I own a house. I'm 100 debt yeah. free. I want to be a part of the platform. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead and go over to Meridio.co and uh, sign up. Uh, our team will give you a call back in less than a week and we'll walk you through the entire process of how you can tokenize it and get it out to your investors. Awesome. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Aaron. Yeah, nice chatting with you. Thank you, you too. Who who are you? What is this about? So we're building a portfolio management platform that in the back end or technology is a a decentralized exchange aggregator. Okay. So a user comes to total.com and uh, they're able to alter their allocations, rebalance their portfolio with one transaction to the blockchain. So there's a lot of decentralized exchange options out there. AirSwap, LoopRing, 0x Relayers, uh, Kyber, uh, a lot of liquidity networks coming out. So what we're doing is normalizing all that whole process for the user. Um, They can uh, edit their allocations with a single transaction, and then our our technology goes out to the decks, finds the best price based on the order books, 
uh, makes the trades and brings the assets directly back to their wallet. So the user always keeps their private key. Okay. So that's where we draw the line. Something like Coinbase or even Binance, they're acting as custodians. They hold on to your assets. Okay. We allow you to keep your assets in your possession at all time and make peer-to-peer -peer trades using DEXs. So Crypto 101 and ICO 101 podcast is a podcast for the average consumer. The average Joe, the average truck driver, the average anybody. So let's start from the beginning then so that they can understand. So let's okay. just say uh, my mom opens up a Coinbase account, she takes some fiat, she converts it to Bitcoin, now she moves her Bitcoin to where? And she wants to buy Kyber Network. She wants to buy Kyber Network, KNC tokens. Yeah. Explain currently how it works okay. and explain the problem you guys are going to solve. Terrific. So currently how it would work is you would go to a centralized exchange to exchange your US dollars for either Ethereum or Bitcoin. That's still a necessary part of the process using our platform or any other platform. You need a way to exchange your dollars into crypto. Yes. You can use something like Coinbase for that. When you're done with that process of exchanging to crypto, buying Ethereum with your US dollars, if you keep your Ethereum on Coinbase, you do not have possession of it. Coinbase has your assets, your crypto assets. The inherent benefit of blockchain technology is such that you can keep possession of your assets at all times. Yes. Therefore, what I recommend as a entrepreneur and someone who's been involved in this space for many years is to send your assets out of Coinbase to a wallet which you own the private key to. That could be a hardware wallet like Trezor, Ledger, Nano, for example, your Ledger Nano. It could be a software wallet on your computer like MetaMask, uh, Jack's Wallet, Mist, Brave Browser. These are all wallets that you can keep possession of your assets in. After doing that, you can come to Total.com with your wallet installed, either plugged into your computer or on your browser there. So for example, if somebody has a MetaMask wallet. You would send your assets from Coinbase to your MetaMask wallets, therefore now you have them. Yes. And then you would visit Total.com and you go ahead and select, it'll show you all of the allocations of all the assets in, in your portfolio at this time. If you're a new user, you only have Ethereum, you've only bought Ethereum. And now say I want to buy KNC Kyber tokens. I just drag the slider up, I click execute. And with one transaction to the blockchain, total goes out to the decentralized exchanges, makes a peer-to-peer -peer trade, trades your Ethereum into KNC tokens, and they're bought back directly to your wallet. So you have them safely in your possession when you're done. Awesome. How long have you guys been around? So we've been working on the concept for about eight months. We just finished our uh, seed round raise. We have a product that'll be public in June. Uh, we're presenting a demo of our beta at the uh, consensus event uh, next week. Awesome. And um, we look forward to everyone signing up. So go to total.com, enter your email for updates on when the product will be available. Appreciate it, David. Nice yeah. talking to you. Nice man. talking to you. Thanks for letting me uh, do an interview. Yeah. Ronnie Rose. Yes. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. What do you think about the summit? Amazing speakers. Lots of diversity in the speakers, too, which is awesome. I love that we're representing a bunch of different communities with genders and sexualities and countries and regions. And we're not just focusing on one sect. We're not just focusing on finance. Uh, we're not just focusing on the arts. We're focusing on a lot of different interests and how we can reach those interests with blockchain. Mm -hmm. One thing I do want to learn more about is, you know, I want to see some training on how we can be advocates and ambassadors for the blockchain community, for sure. which is a challenge that people have in growing the community and talking to their friends about it. That's right. We attract them with the price, but how do we attract them with the potential of right. the tech? You know? For sure. 
And what are you doing in the space, personally? So I'm the host of Blockchain Me, a podcast that was inspired by Crypto 101. Shout awesome. out to Matthew. Uh, and we're doing a couple things. We're focusing first on teaching people about crypto and blockchain tech in a super simple way mm-hmm. with not really any focus on trading. And the second thing is we're highlighting companies that are using blockchain tech for social good. So RightMesh, Netvo, I'm hopefully going to be interviewing Walla. They presented here. They're amazing. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so amazing. Yeah, that's what I'm working on. Cool. And if people want to learn more about you, they should go where? Uh, they can go to my Facebook, to my Twitter. I pretty much accept anyone. Uh, Twitter is at Ronnie underscore Rose underscore or at Blockchain B, B-E-A. Um, and they should check out my podcast, Blockchain B. Thank you, Ronnie. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hey, man, uh, we're walking around. We're Crypto 101 Media. Uh, We have ICO 101 and Crypto 101. We're the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. And we wanted to talk to attendees about the summit. What are your thoughts on the summit? What did you learn? What what are you excited about in the space? Why are you here? What do you do within blockchain? And what will you be doing? That's a lot of questions. It is. Come on, get some. Pass it around. I don't know. I guess, like, it's been a pretty laid back, very interesting wee conference. A lot of people to mix and mingle with. You get all of the big players here. So really good to just connect, meet a lot of people. What I do in the space, I guess I'd just say a bit of a uh, blockchain enthusiast. Do uh, some community dev work, some advisory work. Um, Work out of New Zealand with a lot of projects in Australia. What am I looking forward to most? Probably how the community evolves over the next couple of years and how it gets really adopted by the public space with new protocols, interoperability, and how we deal with the wider implications of integrating it into an everyday use case throughout the world. So, cool. yeah, my two cents. Uh, yeah, I'm Tommy, and I'm here with Ronis. Uh, we've been investing in the space for a while, building a hedge fund as well. Uh, I came to Ethereal mostly to meet people. You know, there's a lot of interesting folks here. I think the speakers are great, but it's all about kind of spaces to interact. So a lot of different conversations about different things in the space. You know, just going deeper on stable coins or nonprofit projects, all these different things I know about, but actually hearing more, yeah, really exciting. What I'm most looking forward to are people moving away from the typical blockchain structures and exploring new forms of consensus, new types of distributed networks uh, and platforms that facilitate that. So I've been learning about those a little bit and just kind of trying to find where the cutting edge of the space is. Right. It was refreshing for me to see that it's not a one-size-fits-all, right? It's flexible, right? You might not need this platform for whatever it is you want to do. So it's um, it's pretty cool, man. You touched on that well. Yeah, my name is Ronis, and uh, it's the second time actually I met Ethereum. I went to the one in San Francisco last year. It was really good. And the same vibe. I really like the, the atmosphere where, you know, the place they chose, the conference, and they have arts, they have uh, people doing yoga outside. I think that creates an environment that is very relaxed for everyone, very welcoming for anyone. And as far as what I look for in those events, definitely the networking effect. You meet a lot of interesting people, very smart people. I also look for kind of information the speakers are, are giving. It's it's always good in a way to get an idea of what's going on in the space. Yeah. And uh, see a lot of innovation. I am excited about uh, some of the projects that actually I saw here from Consensus. So I see a lot of innovation going on. I do believe that uh, some projects are uh, solving the same same problem with different approaches, which not necessarily one will win or one will lose. Maybe yeah. both will, will win. That's right. Uh, so that's very interesting. What do you think about the difference between the end of last year development to now? Have you seen a big increase or a little increase in terms of overall development? Like where was it at the end of fall? 
And where is it now? So I think last year, not just at the very end, but throughout the whole year, it was very, very projects getting started, getting off the ground. And uh, they're still early this year. But I think right now we're starting to see uh, some maturity or on, on some of those very early stage projects that maybe started in the middle of last year or the very beginning of last year. And that has been giving some, you know, I think credibility that we see some results, but it's still early. I, the other thing I see is uh, last year was very new. Everyone was just like hearing about those new technology and cryptocurrencies. And now this year, I think there's more credibility where people are more a little bit more familiar and I think you know the general audience uh, public retail investors are feeling a little bit more confident about acquiring some of these tokens these new digital assets so I think that we're gonna see that more and more people just decide you know what I'm just gonna participate I'm just gonna read more about uh, those projects and find out what's going on and where last year people were just I think it was a lot more speculation last year than this year. I think this year we're going to start slowly seeing less speculation and more interest in, the, in actually what's going on. Cool. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. We hope that you're enjoying the Ethereal Summit so far. Mark and Aaron had a great time being there and a great time making this content for you. Before we go, ApogeeCrypto.com, that's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place to check your real-time prices. CryptoNews.com, the best place for your news. And WPOnTheFly.co if you need a website. We'll see you with more Ethereal Summit in a day. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.